on GDC Podcast episode 19. We're thrilled to have Adam Hines and Sean Crankle, co-founders of Night School Studio, to talk about their iconic award-winning game, Oxenfree, narrative design, and life as a tried-and-true indie game studio. Uh, just as a note, this podcast was recorded just before the announcement of Oxenfree 2. Google it. It looks sweet. Back in a sec. Hey everyone, this is Chris Graft, Editor-in-Chief at Gamasutra. Alyssa will be joining me here for the interview in a little bit, but I'll be doing a few announcements all by myself. Uh, just real quick, State of the Industry just launched. You should check it out. It has a lot of useful data. Apparently, game developers do not like paying the full 30% of uh, the revenue share on digital storefronts. I know that's a shocker. But uh, check it out. There's a lot more interesting data in there. And you can find that at gdconf.com. You can also find at gdconf.com. You can find out how to register for the all-virtual GDC 2021. Uh, So this show is going to be July 19th through 23rd this year. 2023rd this year. Uh, There's going to be multiple tracks. It's not just going to be um, a single track show uh, and we're talking like lots. I don't know exactly how many yet, but there's going to be a lot of stuff going on uh, simultaneously and you'll also be able to watch on demand. So if uh, you happen to have a couple interesting sessions that you want to attend, for example, um, you don't have to worry. Um, You don't have to choose. You can have both because you can watch the one that you skipped on the first go around You can watch that on demand. So you should definitely, uh, that's just one of the many features of our virtual showcase, but it will be bigger and uh, better than any of the other virtual conferences uh, that we have thrown before. Um, This is the premium stock. There will be sessions on Disco Elysium, Ghosts of Tsushima, Hades, Last of Us Part Two. Even Resident Evil Village, which isn't even out yet, and I'm looking forward to it. Um, So there's a lot more. It's going to be great. Check out the whole schedule and reg details at gdconf.com. And with that, let's introduce our next guests. They co-founded Night School Studio in 2014, ages ago. They're known for games like After Party, Mr. Robot 1.5 Exfiltration, I got that on the first take. Um, they're also known for Next Stop Nowhere and the absolutely iconic Oxenfree. Uh, they are recipients of awards from IGF, GDCA, Indiecade, Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences, and South by Southwest. And, fun fact, they're cousins. Uh, we're pleased to welcome Adam Hines and Sean Crackle. Hey, guys. Thanks for coming on. Hey, Thank you for having us. Yeah, no problem. Wow, it's kind of uh, a monumental year for night school, isn't it? Uh, it seems yeah. it's, let's say it's five years since Oxenfree. 
which just sounds absolutely bonkers to us as a team, I think. Um, yeah, it's been five years this year. And uh, yeah, it, 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 I think, I don't know, Adam and I were just talking about this the other day. It feels legitimately more like two years. So um, what is time? Yeah, yeah. That's, definitely, that's definitely a question that a lot of us have been asking ourselves in the past 12 months in particular. <laughs> what oh, is time? <laughs> Yeah, what what was it like releasing Oxenfree back then? So Oxenfree, you know, it, it won all kinds of awards and recognition for its storytelling. Um, what were you expecting any of that when you when you released that game back in 2016? I mean, you always hope for the best, um, and you hope that the game will connect with an audience, or people will see themselves in it, or just think it's entertaining or fun. Um, and we know that we were really proud of the work that that done and we kind of you know we'd, we'd, we'd had some very specific goals of like very specifically making a game where you can walk and talk at the same time and have that feel really good and have a very have kind of aiming for the most kind of naturalistic sounding free-flowing conversations that you can have and good very uh just like strong like tonal goals and, and things that we thought that we had hit all of that but when it came out yeah it was it was, it was, it was kind of a slow um growth of people kind of discovering it and yeah getting nominated from some awards which definitely helped it kind of grow an uh, an audience um but yeah it's 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 tough to say that we expected it to be a success we we had hoped it 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 would be yeah i mean i i ask because uh, whenever i do anything i i expect an award of some sort for it (laughs) so i was wondering if if everyone felt that way Well, and Oxenfree was your first release as Night School, right? Yeah, that's right. How, how was it like to find like that level of success and recognition at your first game out the like out of the gate? Like, what is that? How has that informed your studio uh, in the time since then? I guess. I think it was this kind of perfect nexus of Adam and I having already you know worked at other places before and being passionate about what we wanted to build with this one, um, and so it it really while we were making it. We weren't just looking at it as like a game or the first game for the studio. It was more like this is our our big swing and our pivot away from working in larger companies. Um, right before that, I had been at Disney and had gotten laid off and Adam was a telltale. And we both kind of went, all right, if we're going to make this thing work, it's got to be the best thing possible. And the, the rest of the team also had been either in great spots at, at larger companies, but wanted to try something different or we're just kind of looking to do something new in general. And so, um, I don't know, it felt like, even though we certainly didn't know we would win any awards or that it would grow as big as it did, and we had hoped for that, um, we did feel like we had done something special and that we were proud of that. And so looking towards the rest of the studio um, and what we did ever since then, it's really just, um, I don't know, like we keep trying to maintain that feeling internally where it's almost like our first game every time and we want to stay as uh uh scrappy as humanly possible (laughs) and so um yeah it's just it 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 was really shocking you know because especially because we did it really fast i don't think we had a lot of time to noodle much of anything um the game from from first coming up with it in like middle of 2014 with adam myself uh and, and bryant and heather um, just like sitting on my couch in my living room with the dog, like biting Bryant on the ankles uh, to a year and a half later, the game was out. Um, oh, wow. So it was, I mean, it was pretty bananas that it happened that fast and that we took on, you know, like we self-published it. So we had to handle marketing and worked with a great PR company and did a bunch of other stuff. But 
Um, it was just so fast, like in terms of the speed with which we did it, that uh, it, we haven't really even since then looked back. And that's why I feel like it's felt like it's only been two years because we're, we're always working on something. But um, no, it felt it felt incredible to come out of the gate with that. But it didn't feel like it was our first thing because we had both individually, mm-hmm. you know, been around the block for like a decade mm-hmm. plus of each of us, you know. Yeah. And uh, a lot of your team. Um, well, h- how many people are at night school now? I'm curious. So now we're at 20 um, mm-hmm. and then we work with a couple of external teams to kind of scale up when we need to. So depending on where we are in a particular project, we might have you know about 40 people working on something. But usually our core teams stick to about 10 to 12 people. And so, um, yeah, when we started, it was just four of us. Yeah. And that, that core team, uh, they all, as, as I understand, have background at like telltale and and you said disney and already had this kind of uh propensity towards storytelling right definitely um yeah i mean i think with uh with regret so adam and i you know adam and i are cousins and so that already we we have a a much longer history than most co-workers do Mm -hmm. because i've known him since he was born um i'm six years older (laughs) and so we've been making like silly movies and comic books together since as long as we can remember. Um, but with regards to the other folks on the team that had, that had joined right then, it was people that I had been working with um, at Disney, both of whom um, Heather and Bryant were in my mind, and I hope in their minds as well, really kind of being underused over at Disney because they were these incredible, like Bryant had this huge vision for how a narrative focused game should work. And Heather has this amazing, wistful sort of um, cinematic style to her art, but uh, we were all just kind of working on mobile games together over there. And so this pivot, uh, nothing against mobile games, but it was more just like, how do we make a story that is uh, like the, t- the toy of interacting with it is, is a story. And uh, everybody just had that passion. So everybody kind of is like 30% narrative designer at any given moment. Um, even if they're not working specifically on writing or design, everybody has that, that kind of, uh, yeah, narrative focus. Um, you said a bunch of you came from like AAA studios and like bigger studios and stuff like that. What do you think about, I guess, Oxenfree and just your like after party and your, um, Mr. Robot game that you've made since then. Um, what do you think about a small studio has made those games possible? Like, would something about your development process or your approach to this or just getting the green light not have been possible at a bigger studio? It would be tough, yeah. Um, I mean, I I think for us, the at least for me personally, kind of the big difference is when I'm at a, or when, when, I, when I was at a larger studio, when you have like 200, 300 people there, um, it's really easy to go, well, you know, if I kind of drop the ball here, somebody else, one of the hundreds of people here will kind of pick up the slack if I'm sick or if I'm uh, just lost or I don't know exactly how to execute a thing. And at a smaller studio, you know, you're not only um, kind of the water's edge for your department, but also for uh, your, your, your tentacles are kind of in every single department at the same time. So you just really need to be a super kind of motivated and organized self uh, starter that's really passionate and can really they, they know it's Adam's fault yeah I can't be like well Bob didn't come in today yeah it's all eyes are on me um, so that part's really invigorating and inspiring and, and great and um, and one thing that we always in the early stages said is that at the larger studios you kind of get sucked into this 
um, time loop of meetings and trying to find uh, a, a common ground where you can all make a strong, good uh, decision. And when you're a smaller studio, you just don't have time to kind of waffle and think and go, well, we'll test this out and we'll think about this. We just have to really know what we want to make and be confident um, in that. Uh, so all, all of that, I think it's, it's, it's a lot scarier at the same time as when you're working on, on things because you're, you're kind of working in essence without a, a large safety net. Mm -hmm. uh, but at least for me, it's a lot more fun than so Kind of embracing the chaos in a way from how you described it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Narrative design. How, how do you define that? How do you define the role of a narrative and how do you define the role of a narrative designer? Yeah, I think. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> no, I, I, I was, I was going to say, hey, uh, it's like a, a Zoom meeting. <laughs> yeah. um, a narrative designer, yeah, definitely um, changes studio to studio. For us, it's very specifically um, taking the story and the story concepts and the beats of the story and how characters kind of express them themselves. Um, with the mechanics that we know the gameplay is going to be all about and support. Um, and kind of the challenging aspects of the game, the, the, the more abstract uh, parts of the game, um, and trying to find the most interesting and coherent and uh, producer-friendly way to kind of execute all of that um, at the same time. So if we know we want to give you kind of a key piece of information, because it's really important to the story, but we don't want it to just be a wall of text, it's the narrative designer's job to come up with an interesting way to give you that information using the mechanics and not ignoring what the story kind of has to uh, accomplish too. Um, and then of course, on top of also being a part in thinking of what the mechanics are, helping out with the overall direction of the plot, um, which is different from just a narrative writer um, who's just 100% focused on getting the dialogue right and the overall arc of the characters and the arc of where the story can go and should go. Um, and then the gameplay de designers, which are focused on just making it super fun and making it feel good. What yeah, I think that's... it's something that's evolving in our studio a lot, though. Uh, like, to be perfectly mm -hmm. frank, early on until only recently, we've really sort of spread narrative design as a role across design and writing. And really, uh, I, I think it's been to the detriment of our process because we've gone, well, I think that writing can handle a good chunk of this or that that a, a game designer can handle this. But um, fundamentally, like pretty recently, we've made narrative design its own 100% discipline that is not um, purely reliant on what, uh, you know, what, what a script is going to drive into the game and more to go, this is the vessel by which everybody is experiencing this world. And so, it's, you know, narrative design can be everything from uh, handling all of set dressing to inspiring aspects of the, the major story arc. Yeah, it might not be writing um, the actual scripts, but still heavily inspiring the the kind of beats of the story. And so it's something that we've had to grow and learn and adapt to. I think this, the scope of our, our early games were small enough and have been small enough that we've been um, fortunate enough that everybody can kind of wear a narrative design hat. But it's the same thing as like, I don't know, I'm sure there's a lot of things in your guys' lives where you're like, oh man, I can handle all this stuff. And then you finally get help in one area and you're like, oh my God, I sucked at this. So <laughs> this is kind of how... That is current given... status. <laughs> so targeted. <laughs> like, you know, you think you could be your own tax person. Can you? I don't know. <laughs> like it's just like... So I think with narrative design, we've, we've finally treating it more, we're treating it more and more like the, the proper discipline that it is, which is ironic that we're such a narrative focused studio. Yeah. But I think we've just kind of had numerous it's really just been 
a handshake between writing and design up until now. And there, you need that third, you know, third, third point. I feel like narrative designers and UX designers are like up there, the people who are always screaming, no, you need a dedicated role for this. It's way more complicated. <laughs> yes. God, UX is a very good example of that. Yes. Um, yeah. So I guess with such narrative um, focused games, where do you start when you sit down and like look at a project and be like, okay, I'm going to tell this really cool story on this really cool island with this really cool mystery and all this like great dialogue throughout. Like what is the very first, um, I guess, conversation you have about that and how does it evolve out as the process goes for you guys? Every game has kind of, uh, has changed with, with Oxenfree we were fortunate enough to have a pretty clear like mission statement between Adam and I, where our goal, even before knowing the specifics of the story, was to build a game where there were, where story was uh, never interrupted by gameplay, and gameplay wasn't interrupted by story, but rather the two were just totally coexisted. And so, you know, the shorthand for that for us was like, what if we took the stuff that like he was working on at Telltale and that type of a dialogue system, but stuck it in limbo. That was like our initial shorthand for it was like, how do you do limbo? And even I think we, for the first two, three months before we even really chipped away at what that really meant, we called the game, uh, was it Run Jump Story Story or something like that? Yeah. Because <laughs> we, we were looking at the buttons of a controller and we're like, okay, one is walk, one is talk, uh, jump. <laughs> yeah, it was like Run Jump Talk Talk or something, I think was the name of the game. Thank God we changed the name. Um, I like it. And, yeah. And so, but I think like where, where we always try to come from both with Oxenfree and then everything we've done since is to ensure that the narrative, while the, while the specifics of the narrative are not anything that we want to get too married to early on, because it, it's a game and you have to make it fun and cool and interesting to interact with. Um, we do try to land in a general space of like, feel and, a, and general themes. And so, yeah, with Oxenfree, very early on, we knew that the kind of Spielbergian 80s whimsical yet scary vibe was something that we liked. But there were iterations of it where you were dealing with aliens and there were iterations of it where you were where she was, you know, where Alex was more equipped with borderline weapons. And, you know, a lot of these things that we would test for a while and, and they didn't make sense and then they would inspire the story and then we'd get some more specifics on the story. So let's say we said, all right, we want it to be a fairly contemplative pace. So we want it to be slow and kind of walking a little bit. Well, then you're not going to be running around in Shibuya with a light sword or something. You're probably going to be uh, in, a, in a location where there can be some downtime. So let's have it be some desolate woods. And then that inspired the art style and it kept fortunately everything would kind of feed the next thing and we'd tear down a little bit from one discipline and build it back up until finally ideally it's hard to separate what the mechanics and experience are from the story and that's what we've tried to do you know with every game since then as well is to to have each feed each other as so long as the player really feels like they're um they have a lot of agency in the story we want the mechanics to to support that it's like a really organic way of approaching that whole process. It's interesting. It's headachey at times. <laughs> <laughs> you made it sound so perfect, though. <laughs> oh, man. Does the, does the, the team does would the be rolling their eyes right now. <laughs> does, the, uh, does the mechanic and the, uh, and the story start off about at the same time in production, like together and mutually? Usually. I, I would say so i mean i i 
think probably it's like maybe the first sentence of what the game is is design, and then it's a lot more story, and then design kind of catches up. Uh, but that's just kind of like a gut feeling in that like Oxenfree was all about kind of the mood and the tone and the walking and talking and then just trying to make a game that's exciting. That that's that's the majority of what of what you do. And then at, at, after party, um, the, it kind of just started that we just want to make a really crazy fun bar crawl game, um, which is immediately kind of in, inspiring and nice to kind of immediately start to think about what kind of gameplay mechanics could wrap around that. Um, so for that one, that was a bit, a bit kind of on par parallel uh, acts there. Um, but yeah, they, they mostly kind of work in tandem. It's like, well, we'll come up with a, with a story beat. And if we can't kind of immediately think of how to ex ex explicate that or, 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 or showcase that with fun mechanics, it kind of naturally dies on the vine. And it's the, it's the same thing with the gameplay mechanics, too. If we can't think of how that could uh, enable the player to kind of twist and turn the story or express themselves through characters, then that will kind of die, too. Um, so I'm going to take this opportunity to dig into the dialogue system in Oxenfree. And I know you have a similar one. I haven't played a ton of um, of After Party, so I'm sorry if I say anything in inaccurate. Feel free to yell at me here. Um, but your dialogue system in Oxenfree was very interesting because a lot of times you get... Well, you mentioned how you wanted to create this kind of organic flow to a conversation and keep that throughout the game. Um, but a lot of times in video games, when you get like conversations that have like a timed window to respond, it is for critical decisions. And this is the moment you need to like think and act on your feet and be very like pivotal moments in the game. But Oxenfree just kind of carries that throughout. Um, I, I don't, I kind of want to just like how, um, why, uh, how did that evolve? Was that ever a pain point through development where you're like, am I stressing the players out too much with this time-based thing? How do we find a balance between something that feels like an organic conversation, but isn't putting too much pressure on players to be taking in too much information and doing too much at once? Yeah. I mean, so we, we knew that we needed a timer and I was always really, um, uh, really a huge fan of that kind of Telltale in innovation. It, it, it had shown up in other games before, but I feel like Telltale ran with it, where they took that very kind of standard 90s, 80s LucasArts, Sierra um, adventure game conversation systems, but just said, we're going to really push you to actually make choices here in a timely manner so that the conversations do feel more like a film or like a conversation that, that you would have. Like people don't just stand there and idle and kind of tap their knees for an hour. And if you don't talk, then if there's another person there, the conversation just kind of flows on. So we knew that we kind of needed that, but it was it was a back and forth kind of through the entire development of like what the right timing was, how many how many seconds should we give you um, when you do make a choice? Does that mean you're going to immediately interrupt uh, what the dialogue idols are, or um, are we going to let those lines kind of play out? Um, and we kind of did this system where it was very contextual, where if we wanted you to feel Kind of more stressed we would shorten that timer and that would get mm -hmm. visually represented by the bubbles kind of fading away um and then it was and then there was the same thing with the if you're kind of cutting off characters or or not um just very kind of contextual with with the mood and the tone of what that specific scene is um but yeah we and i feel like it's kind of our most consistent critique from from fans is about either how fast those timers are or having an option to kind of let them hang out forever or and for me, while we were making the game, I was like, well, if you can't handle the heat, get out of the kitchen. I, I was so like, I just want people to feel the stress and feel like they do need to make choices. But since the game has come out, you know, it's been a really good point that English isn't everyone's native dialect. So sometimes mm -hmm. they just need that extra time to really like read and process what they're saying. 
Um, so it's still kind of a back and forth that we go on about um, exactly how much time we should kind of give you. But it, it, it is kind of a crucial Im imperative component that there is a timer at all, or else the conversations, yeah, just won't feel natural. They just won't feel that there's that pressure there. On top of that, I, I, I appreciated that Oxenfree and the After Party and the games that Night School uh, tend to make aren't the most challenging games, very much on purpose, they're, that they're meant to kind of have you be in this relaxed state and, and making choices. But it's nice to have uh, the, the challenge, so to speak, or the tension kind of, kind of come out in what the game is all about, which is just ways of uh, communicating. Mm -hmm. uh, going can... into it and doing, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I was going to say doing like the prep for this episode, I was just kind of like watching some Let's Plays and getting reacquainted. And it's amazing how like listening to the dialogue, it feels like watching a web series or something like scripted, like the timing of everything is so good. The voice acting is incredible too, but like pulling that off is no yeah. easy feat. Yeah, that's what I was, that's what I was going to say. I, I was playing it, um, it's on Game Pass, Xbox Game Pass right now. And uh, when it, it's kind of like you can there's there's like the, the invisible hand of the game designer uh, helping the rhythm of that dialogue go so like when when it's really rolling it's almost like a gilmore girls type <laughs> back and forth or something like that did that did that did that did that did that did that um <laughs> and it just it just it just feels uh familiar it, it doesn't because it, the dialogue in video games and the exchanges that people have are like almost always so stilted you know and uh, and here it actually flowed realistically and i think that you know is a pretty big uh, accomplishment because uh, you still don't see that very much thanks yeah it's definitely a a, a, a massive massive goal of, of us yes yeah, is to make those conversations feel not so naturalistic and realistic that yeah characters are kind of tripping and stumbling over each other all the time but i i basically look at it as like the wittiest version of yourself you're kind of being able to play as so they're 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 still coming up with cool barbs and jabs and jokes and, and things but it's yeah it's, it's important to get those like stutters and the uhs in in there and make sure that it does feel yeah very controlled and and, and very written but that the player is going to be able to mm -hmm. uh deftly maneuver with in that yeah so taking that system from oxen free to after party did you guys change a lot with it or improve anything or how did that evolution from game to game go I think on uh, so for from between even between actually Oxenfree and After Party we had done the Mr. Robot game and that was like a really uh, really short timeline like we did that inside of 2016 in a matter of months and got to play with a different approach to writing style and dialogue which was um, much more about texting it was like a real time or it felt like a real time texting game and mm -hmm. so that also started to weigh into how we wanted to think about aspects of after party where it was like you know in the case of oxen free the entire focus was about face-to-face -face, realistic uh rapid fire conversations but with after party we started to think about well can we do some asynchronous communication can we have texting happen here and there can we have uh a representation of social media so we have like our fake version of twitter in there called bicker where all the denizens of hell are just talking smack and like the things <laughs> that are happening on there uh, are reflecting the things that you've been doing in the game. And so I think like the general bed of how communication works in After Party was always things that were intended to be plussing up what existed in Oxenfree. So um, yeah, having the ability to text, having that social network. And then finally, the big one, of course, being how drinks impact the dialogue system. And so 
Um, in the case of After Party, the, the goal was to say, well, can, can you have a drink at a bar be themed and have it be something that augments the player's incoming dialogue choices in a way that almost feels like an RPG or like it's going to let them uh, kind of, yeah, wear a suit of armor of their to their liking, you know? And so uh, we, instead of having drinks be these highly realistic, like, well, here's a vodka soda or whatever, they're all kind of insanely themed, almost more like Harry Potter potions or something that... Um, that will make you talk like a pirate or, you know, can, can really just wildly augment the way that you communicate. And so um, back to that part of, you know, story being the toy. And this one we thought, yeah, in a night out, all, what are all the ways that we can improve the Oxenfree dialogue system, but for this like buddy adventure. And so the drinks, plus the fact that we had texting and plus that we had, uh, which, which texting is barely in it, but it still, you know, existed here and there. Um, plus the social, uh, social media aspect of it. And then finally, the the move to having you play as two characters was like a big, big switch. So um, in the you know an after party, you play as Milo and Lola uh, because you know you wouldn't want to play a Bill and Ted game and just be Ted or Bill, or maybe you would. I don't know. <laughs> but for us, we <laughs> thought it would be very cool to to play as uh, as two buddies in this thing and really you know co- kind of push and pull at that as well over the course of the game. And so that had its own set of unique challenges. Um, I don't know, Adam, if you want to kind of speak to. Uh, the difference between writing Alex versus writing Lola and Milo. Yeah, yeah. So for Alex, um, you know, it's it's it was a balance um, between kind of defining her as a unique uh, specific character, but also giving the player kind of the range um, to be able to kind of put themselves in that uh, character and be able to still have um, the options that um, a player would want to be able to kind of say and and do. Um, and then for Milo and Lola, it was nice because uh, well, A, we wanted to give a, a strong reason why we even were offering you uh, the opportunity to play as two um, characters, uh, which for them was that they're just basically diametrically opposed in terms of uh, just their philosophies on life in general. Milo is a much more kind of uh, wanting to make friends, always focused on kind of the social aspects of his lives. And Lola was much more focused on doing good and making a career and kind of making a statement. Um, so the bouncing back and forth, the players got to start to expect what kind of dialogue choices each character would offer them at, at any particular beat. Um, so the few times in the game where we give you kind of a choice of who you want to play as for the next um, couple of beats, um, it, it was meaningful. Whereas in Alex, you're just stuck as her the whole time. So we want to still try to give you as big a range as we can realistically without fully dipping into, into kind of the mass effect um, or uh, any other kind of bigger R- RPG mode of you being able to fully define if this character is just a jerk to everybody or they're super nice. Like Alex is still Alex, and you just get to kind of guide to what thoughts and expressions that she she would uh, re- reasonably have. Um, so I guess this was originally a question about Oxenfree, but I'm going to hijack my question and take it to um, After Party because everything you said is super interesting. Um, when you have a game with, I guess, multiple outcomes at the end, and you have you introduce with um, after party, you introduce all these variables, all these different drinks you can have, the different dialogue com- like uh, options you can choose, different characters you can play as. How do you kind of um, make sure you have all these variables, all these different pathways, and different endings in some cases? How do you make sure those are a reward rewardable? Um, <laughs> what's the word for that? Rewarding for the player. And also kind of pique their curiosity to be like, bring them back for a second playthrough. Where's the balance for that? 
Yeah, I mean, for us, um, uh, at least for, for me, it's mostly a gut feeling and going by kind of the team and our own internal compass of just what would the player really want to do um, and what kind of uh, types of endings or conclusions or achievements um, or uh, obstacles that they would kind of want to see certain characters um, ex ex experience by, by the end. Um, and just trying to, as best as we can, kind of fulfill every single thing that a player would kind of nat naturally want to see and, 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 and do. Um, but of course, that's like only one real like spoke. The, the other thing that's always kind of in balance with that is just what makes sense for, for the story, which is usually a lot different from what does the player would naturally want to do. Players you know, would want to be able to run into a, a house with a, with, with a gun, but it's like if we can't be able to offer every single um, thing that you could possibly do, um, what are the ones that we can kind of narrow in on um, and really make those sing and, and really make those work? Um, and so, so yeah, so it's definitely a, a, a balance between what in our version would be like the, the best movie uh, or novel uh, expression of this plot where there is no kind of player choice, there is no push and pull with where it would go. Um, but then it's uh, against what the player would, would want to do. But then, too, it's, it's nice in that as you naturally write a story and make things, you know, you have a lot of different ideas of where stuff could go. And usually you kind of drill down into the one best uh, path. And uh, best, of course, is, 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 is in um, quotes. But, uh, but with uh, games and with an interactive narrative, you're able to kind of offer up a lot of the ideas that you wouldn't have done if it was a very linearly told um, Thing. Um, so it's, it's, it's nice to be able to kind of show players all the op opportunities that your story can kind of give. Yeah, I think it's something that we've, uh, this is this is probably one of our most like internally uh, contested <laughs> things that we're always rattling around is like, how much do you show versus how much do you allow to just exist in the feel of it? Like the, like the scripts mm -hmm. for every single game that we've done, our writers are writing stuff that is branching out into quite a few um, really different paths and almost these different modular endings. So it's not even just like, oh, there's four distinct endings or seven or whatever, but the, even those those uh, endings can have different permutations based on a variety of choices that happen inside of it. And so like under the hood, it's all very complicated. Um, but oftentimes what can happen is if you're not hitting it over the head and showing it in ways that feel um, either obvious at a, at a UI level or obvious in a um, end game kind of presentation level, a lot of that stuff gets lost. And it's, you know, it's, it's like sad for the team at times because you'll go, man, people didn't even realize how much agency they had in this, which I guess is a gift and a curse because if they feel like that linear version that they think was in their head was semi-linear, if they think, oh, that's the only way it could have turned out, yeah. then cool, you know, good on everybody on the team for creating something that felt that way. But the flip side is sometimes it is just nice to see a tally, you know, or it is nice to see a branch map. Like I know mm -hmm. when, until the Dawn percentages came out and, and yeah, yeah, that stuff, you know, it's, it's like, sometimes it's nice to lean into that. And like, like when until Dawn came out, they did so many things that were so effective at conveying all of that in a really blunt visual way that I think we in Oxenfree had initially, like we shied away from that and we, we were, a lot more opaque about what was happening under the hood. And we were just like, let's just make it feel like it's real life. And in real life, you wouldn't see figures popping up all over the place. But then the further we've gone, we've really tried to, to swing the pendulum back in the other direction and just ensure that people feel it. Because 
again, like, yeah, all the stuff we've done to date has quite a bit of variance in where it goes, but we want to make sure that that, that effort that the team, you know, the writers and the artists and design team are putting into it is, is felt. And that, that's like, that's pretty challenging to do. So on the other side of that, like the inside of it, how do you as a team handle when there are that many moving parts inside a game? Like when there's that many lines of dialogue or possibilities, how do you kind of organize that in your development process? Oh no, silence. Oh, I was like, Adam will take this because he's the one who writes the scripts, but I can also take a crack at it. Adam, do you want to go first or me? Yeah, um, so it's really hard, really. (laughs) Always... uh, yeah, it's a lot of balancing. Um, yeah, what we can do, what we what we think we have time to uh, uh, achieve, <laughs> um, and 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 also just uh, and I think probably one of one of our biggest um, I- issues is that our, our our eyes are always kind of bigger than our uh, stomachs are, and that we always think like, oh, well, we we can have like a hundred different endings, and we'll add this mini game and stuff, and then of course as you start to make the game, um, you both, in a good way, the, the game itself kind of starts to whittle away um, the chaff and the stuff that isn't really necessary, the stuff that it would just be a distraction from what kind of the core goal is of the experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, yeah, you just kind of run out of time for a certain things. So then you just really have to pick um, what is most important to the to you, to the team, to what you think will make the, the game kind of the best version that it can it can be. Um, but yeah, it's definitely and, and recently too with our um, with the with the kind of current stuff that we're just starting to kind of ideate and think about now um, is how important are super branchy moments um, uh, going forward. Because there's there's kind of like a, a bunch of different ways that you can really um, kind of a, a accomplish what would be considered still a very interesting, involving, engaging narr- narrative game. One that focuses on like a couple big choices every so often that aren't so in the weeds and these like micro decisions that the game is really tracking, uh, which we've been kind of currently trying to like serve both masters where it's like we'll have those those big pivot points, but also have the ones where it's like you just get to kind of define who the character is on an emotional state and the game will remember that and respond to that. Um, but yeah, to, to, to Sean's point, um, it's, it's, it's always tough to make sure that that really hits the, um, air. So, so yeah, so it's for, for us in, in internally. Yeah. It's, it, 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 it can be hard to both kind of keep track of, of everything and wrangle things and, and know exactly what's making kind of the best version of, of this game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, our earlier process was, I think, a lot more akin to what a TV show or a film would be like, where it was a little bit more linear and where um, all of the asset needs and everything kind of came out of the script or at least came out of um, an understanding of the, the beats of the, the a scenario or a puzzle or whatever. But um, we are we're, we're we're kind of in the process of pivoting that, so we should like check back in and do another podcast in a few months to <laughs> to let you know how this is going. Um, Twelve months later, <laughs> yeah, I think you know we're we're doing a lot we're a lot more now in a space of uh, gray boxing things really early, trying to um, feel moving through a space more, trying to uh, have like design be able to influence stuff a little bit earlier on and and organizing um around that type of a process which is 
it has its own set of new growing pains. Like I think we got pretty, pretty darn good at the workflow, the other version of the workflow, but we're trying to adapt right now. Yeah. That, that's interesting what you were saying about being uh, earlier about being transparent versus being opaque about choices um, and the effect that it has on the story. I, I just had somebody, a, a game developer actually, who made who made a little game on Steam and it's getting like all these downvotes uh, uh, or dislikes because that they're like. He, he pitched this as a branching, you know, nonlinear game, and it's just totally linear. And then, so he's going to be writing an op-ed for Gamma Sutra. So it's like it was, it was very branchy. <laughs> there were choices in it. It wasn't linear. So that, yeah, that, I, I, I hadn't really thought of that that much until I got that pitch, and then what you all are talking about right now. So, I feel so bad for him. Like we literally, we can extremely relate. Yeah, it's it's yeah. one of these things where I think that we. When you're in the middle of development, you go, oh, well, if, if our pillars, you know, if, uh, not even like marketing speak pillars, but truly if like our guiding principles internally in the case of Oxenfree um, and also an after party were to have naturalistic relationships that evolve and form over time and change and have dialogue be recorded in such a way that it feels really natural and you can interrupt somebody and have it overlap. And if all that nuance is going into it, then it doesn't feel immediately like the right decision to say let's throw a bunch of crazy menus and be like you're a jerk says this menu because like it yeah. just isn't jerk naturalistic <laughs> um yeah but but in reality i don't know that there there's a lot of benefit in um in clarity and in, in clarity of that ui so um yeah it's just a balance yeah. it's super subjective you know and I, I do want to make sure before we run out of time here uh, mm. to drill in a little bit more to your uh, philosophy on choice in games, because everybody has their opinion on that. Is there are there certain guiding principles as far as choice goes for for you and your studio? Uh, I think so. <laughs> yeah, our <laughs> kind of I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's nothing I don't think we've ever really like gone so far to put down on paper, but Sean and I and uh, the, the rest of the team have definitely talked about it and in, in terms of um, overall, like what is more important? Is it more important that we kind of tell a very focused uh, linear narrative with some minor branching that kind of comes back pretty quickly to, to a main trunk um, and the benefits there being um, obviously that it's much more controlled. We can make sure that the player is hitting certain beats at certain times. There's uh, a very specific order of these um, or is it better to be pretty open about things and let the player kind of encounter things in any order that they want and have kind of the physicality and the location also be a, a choice and the order in, in which you do things. Um, the benefits of that, of course, is that the player feels a lot more in control. They feel like they are almost wholly autonomous in driving this uh, tale. And when they kind of compare the story with their friends, there will be a lot of obvious wild uh, changes between the, the two. Uh, but it's a lot less narratively guided by us, so um, it's harder to make certain things really hit and, and sing when we uh, need them to. Um, but for, for us, I think we're, we're always trying to do it all. <laughs> we, we always kind of want um, to have a guided story with a, with, with a real point um, that kind of feels like it's coalescing into a strong uh, theme. Um, but at, at the same time, yeah, let the player really guide it as much as, as we can. I feel like on, on the spectrum, though, we do like closer to having it be a bit more guided, um, just just because of 
the, 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 the kind of strength of the moments when they really hit, when we know that you're going to see this scene at this exact time and the choices that you've made will have lockstep led to this um, scene, um, at least to us and at least to me personally, I feel like that's worth more than the player feeling almost in a kind of analytical, clinical sense that they had a lot more variety and a lot more choice, but emotionally the beats might not have hit them um, as hard as a more kind of structured story would have. Um, so I feel like we're probably more on that side of, of things, um, but, but yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's also a thing where, you know, how we talked before about the, the story and influencing the mechanics and then vice versa, mechanics uh, influencing the story. I think um, it just depends on the project's goals. So, like, I know that there's, there's always this kind of ongoing um, academic debate about what games should bring to narrative or vice versa. And I think it's just a matter of what are the project's needs, not necessarily what the game industry needs and so for the games that we've done so far the type of pacing that we wanted the type of feel that we wanted um led to the balances that adam is talking about and even inside of that there's nuance in that like after party there is a little bit more choice also about where you go and when and there are larger swaths of the game that you will end up inherently missing and that was because the project goals there were like well let's make it feel like a, a raucous night out and uh, the best raucous nights out, you kind of look back at this trail of destruction and go, what the hell happened? What did we do? Um, whereas the, you know, in Oxenfree, it's a very specific, like th there is a time timer ticking on you, not real time, but before the sun rises, the, the, the S hit is going to, I can't, I don't know if I can swear in here. I'm <laughs> saying shit. That shit's going to hit the fan, right? So the, I don't know what S hit would have gotten me. <laughs> That's going to buy me any points. Um, yeah. But in Oxenfree, we wanted that pressure. And so allowing a wide open, wandering, meandering uh, set of branches just wouldn't have fit the goals of that story. So um, I don't know. I think people have asked us or we've talked about this before with folks. And it's like, is there any openness in Last of Us 2? No. Is that still like the pinnacle of maybe storytelling in, in games? <laughs> maybe. Yeah. So I don't know. It's just like I, I think it's just what are the, the goals behind the game? Uh, and the intentions of the game. Um, so I, I could see us making a more linear thing. I could also see us doing something that feels like you're dropped in the middle of the woods. Go. And, you know, you have, and it's very open-ended. Yeah. So you, you'll basically make uh, the next Rust uh, type game. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> uh, well, we're kind of running out of time here. Uh, you know, as, as the last thing, is there... Um, I, I don't know. I, I think that, you know, um, you all are weathered indies at this point. And uh, is, is there anything that you keep in mind that, you know, you would, you know, lessons that you might want to pass on to other game developers who are listening to this or not? Oh, or so many. Yeah, no, none. We don't want any competition. Uh, no. <laughs> Get out now. But if you're good at story games, come to us. Uh, no, I think, Recruitment. Um, yeah. in, in general, it, uh, Adam's point earlier about biting off more than we can chew, we do that every time. We continue to do that. So the biggest thing would be work in as narrow a range of creative potential possible because you're going to bring the stuff that you that, that you can make special to a, a game it's inherently going to come out and it doesn't mean that it needs to be 50,000 different features it's more like pick one or two things and try to do them to the best of your ability and that means 
lean on the strengths of your actual team, lean on who you have. Like in the case of Oxenfree, we were extremely intentional about making a game that could rely on Heather's art style, which meant that we were going to have that camera really far removed so that we could have these epic sweeping environments. We were going to have a cast that we didn't have to have, you know, tons of characters get modeled. Um, we, we were very confident in our story abilities and Adam's writing and our ability to direct a cast. And, you know, Andy uh, Rohrman, who's, who goes by Scientific, who did our music, we knew oh, the, the music. of Great. audio. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's just like such a killer. So you want to lean into that, right? And have all those ingredients at your disposal kind of talk to each other and just focus as much as possible. Um, that, I don't know, is the number one thing that we, uh, that's not some like golden lesson that we learned and live by every day. It's one that we have to remind ourselves every day because we, we keep stepping in the same mistakes over and over again. <laughs> it's just, mm-hmm. yeah, it's important. Try to, try to focus on the strengths of your team and only pick one or two things to try to do well. Well, very last thing, what is, uh, what's next? Can you talk about anything uh, that you're working on projects or, or, uh, or goals? What's, what's next? In, in, in very vague terms, uh, <laughs> we're, we're, we will be announcing some new stuff pretty soon. So we're excited that we're working Ooh. on, yeah, some, some very cool new stuff. Um, without going into any details yet, all, all I can really say is that we're returning to a very kind of spooky vibe. Um, and you know, for if if you look at the last few games we've done since Oxenfree, we've pivoted into uh, you know a comedy adventure in one, and this like sort of a space adventure in the Apple Arcade game that we did last year called Next Stop Nowhere. But I think that we have really wanted to delve back into um, the supernatural and the idea of like fear playing a major component of the game. So that is around the corner. Um, and then goals for the studio is just to keep trying to find new ways to let players interact with story. Like we don't want to be, you know, a a company that um, leans on one or two tricks. You know, I think it's important for us to, to keep building new types of stories and also new, um, uh, new ways to interact with them. Yeah. Well, the world needs more spooky games, in my opinion, more ghosts (laughs) and haunts. Yeah. (laughs) So, all right, Sean and Adam, uh, fantastic talking to both of you. And I appreciate all the insight and best of luck with what's next. Thank you much. Cool. Thank you. I want to talk to them about dialogue like all day, all day. I want to, I want to dialogue with them about dialogue. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, I got a Gilmore Girls reference in there. Did you catch that? (laughs) I've never seen the Gilmore Girls. (laughs) I've been yelled at for that, but it's. I mean, it's been on like, uh, like in my my household. My wife um, is a fan of it, and uh, but yeah, the 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 dialogue is known for being like so. So back and forth, like um, if if a normal person's conversation is like um, two amateurs, um, two two mediocre people playing tennis, uh, Gilmore Girls dialogue is like uh, professional ping pong players um, going back and forth. Such a unique uh, critique of Gilmore Girls. I've never heard it pitched from that angle. (laughs) Yeah, I am at the end of the day and the metaphors are just flying. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.
<laughs> but the dialogue pacing in Oxenfree and after I've played, I need to play more After Party. I've barely touched it. Yeah, me too. Um, but like just uh, br- like I said during the conversation, brushing up on Oxenfree before this podcast, it was like listening to a TV show, something pre-recorded, something like scripted, mm-hmm. where the timing was just so like good throughout, despite having all these different variables that can interact with that. Yeah, and just like. I don't know, hearing how, like, a lot of that process was just kind of this really organic thing that happened throughout development is just, like, mystical for me to learn, like... Uh, Yeah, keeping that dialogue moving along at a pace that is still interesting to hang out and with and listen to um, is such a deliberate thing that they did. Like, the the walking and talking mechanic, it's like, this game is about listening to people talk. And not only is that difficult you know, from the mechanics standpoint, uh, but also to have dialogue that tells a story that is interesting that you want to listen to. Yeah. 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 And with, with exploration, I guess, especially in Oxenfree's case, uh, where you're kind of going through this mysterious, mysterious landscape and the bulk of the discovery is through the characters speaking things to each other and like just having that the journey is a destination and all that, but like having, you're not walking to a set piece and going mm-hmm. to have a cutscene conversation here. It's the entire thing is stretched across and it's just interwoven in such an expert way. And it was enjoyable to hear how that uh, comes about. It's still a mystery to me how like, I don't know, mm-hmm. introducing more variables in after party. My mind is like, I don't know how they could do that, but they apparently did. And they pulled it yeah. off. Yeah, they did. And uh, you can you can definitely sense the, you know, telltale uh, DNA and influence mm-hmm. in, in those games, but they definitely have their own uniqueness about them. I was trying to think back because when we opened the conversation with like, oh, Oxenfree came out five years ago, I'm like, because I, I downloaded that game on iOS, which I don't think is the first platform it came out on. I could be wrong. That was a long time ago. Um, but, like, I have this very distinct memory of, like, downloading it. Yeah, I'll give it a try. Sitting on the couch and, like, sitting there with my phone in my hand, slowly overheating as I play through, like, all, like, four or five hours. Just, like, could not put it down. I had to go get a charger at some point And just such an, an incredible experience. And didn't realize it had been out this long. And I don't know where I'm going with this thought, but I'm very glad we had a yeah. chance to have this conversation with them and kind of dig into uh, narrative design and all the, I don't know, weird yeah. journeys their studio, studio is taking, too. Getting yeah. back into mystery and horror. I'm excited for that. Yeah, it, it was interesting what Sean had to say about um, keeping focus on on your games because you do have that tendency, um, and this is great advice, I think, for uh, pretty much any creative project to not overcommit and not overscope and not um, make something so big that it is beyond the talents that you um, and or your team have. Um, and we do hear that every now and then, but it's something that needs to be, it's a point that needs to be driven home over and over and over again. And you can see that focus, uh, you know, that mindfulness in, uh, in night schools games. Yeah. It's interesting because that's definitely a question we've asked before, like prior guests on the podcast and different people have different answers for it. Um, but night school was really interesting in that their answer is kind of an evolution, right? Because they talked about how they handled that in past games and how they're kind of like moving to a more structured process as they get through the indie development cycle uh, or like towards their new project. And just seeing that evolve in kind of like real time offers a really unique perspective on avoiding overscoping and trying to make sure that all your parts 
serve a purpose in the long run and you're not, I don't know, losing content and dealing with the fact that players might not see all of your hard work content, but it's still valuable. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's good to be spooky, which I am, I am absolutely into. Have you played any spooky games lately? Uh, not lately. I need to finish, um, Little Hope, which is, uh, Supermassive, Supermassives, uh, like Until Dawn developers, their latest. Um, we got about halfway through it. My partner does not like spooky games, but I'm trying to get them to play with me. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, I have also been playing Little Hope. Ah, yeah. Very good. I I, I I love all of their games. Yeah. I never played Until Dawn. Uh, not, I, I don't know like how I missed it. Um, but I just didn't get around to it. And then I randomly... Uh, checked out Little Hope, and it's like, <laughs> like holy crap, what is this? Until like, that, that, I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna give anything away, but there's just <laughs> like, what it, the? <laughs> it's another one of those games where there's a bunch of different dialogue choices that both shape your character and shape kind of how you feel about characters and the world around mm-hmm. you. So it's kind of got that interesting back and forth that um, Oxenfree for sure has, and I don't know, it's different. It's yeah. uh, interesting to see how different developers approach similar problems and similar structures and have like completely different products. It's just game dev's cool. That was so interesting when they were talking about making the the game's choices so um opaque um that there the the effects so opaque that uh people didn't you know may not realize that there's any non-linearity in mm-hmm. there at all and it's it's something i i I, ha- I hadn't thought of before but uh yeah like Sean said or, or Adam if if you're able to make a game that is branching and people feel like it's linear well good good job yeah this is kind of like what a life is like (laughs) (laughs) deep i don't know it's it's late in the day that's a good place to that's a (laughs) me being brain dead thank you for joining us Yeah. yeah thank you 